Welcome to The Faith Retriever, fetching the good news for your family. This week, you have an opportunity to hear Deacon Eric Page talk to the Frazzati Young Adults Group at the Newman Center on the University of Washington campus about tools for discernment, sensing, thinking, and acting with God. This talk will be shared over two Faith Retriever episodes. Let it help you and your loved ones develop your gift of discernment. Now, here's Deacon Eric Page. I've been asked by Archbishop Agent to help us start a formation program for lay ministers, people who work in the church, who bring their skills and talents to the church to help us move into this new and challenging and exciting time in the life of the church. I've got a new level of interest in this subject of discernment that's a little bit personal. I, I'll share a little bit with you, but hopefully not oversharing, Father, but um, you'll probably notice these shoes I'm wearing. I'm a little bit embarrassed of them, but they actually relate to one of my own personal challenges with discernment. So if you haven't seen these shoes before, these are made by a company called Brooks. They're called The Beast, and my podiatrist told me I had to wear them. I went into the the local uh, store, if, I don't know if you've ever been to Fleet Feet and Bonnie Lake or to uh, Roadrunner. I went to Kent in there and I asked the man named Gavin, probably about 25 years old or so, do you have the beast? I need, need them in size 12. And Gavin looked at me with eyes of mercy, embarrassing eyes of mercy, and said, did you hurt yourself? And I just found myself saying, yes, yes, Gavin, yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I said, oh, that explains it, because only people who injure themselves are senior citizens get these shoes. <laughs> and so I felt, well, thank you, Gavin. Um, the truth is that I put myself in these shoes because I have this awkward relationship with basketball. I enjoy basketball. I'm not sure basketball enjoys me. And recently, I played... And my foot was already hurt a little bit, but I thought I can play through it. And as the night went on, my foot hurt more and more. And I thought, no, I gotta stop. Because I'd injured it, had a little bit of surgery on it. I thought, it's time to take a break. Well, as I'm walking off after the game, we've got Dwayne, one of our guys that plays there at St. Andrew and Sumner. He said, well, just one more game. We need one more to play. There's only 10 of us. And I literally heard the voice of conscience in my head saying, you're done. But I still went and played, and I injured myself further, and now I'm paying the price. The reason I mention this is discernment is often something that we think is this complex process that we engage in when we're facing an enormous life decision. And we think that it's something that people do incredibly well because they've been trained in this, this art, a deacon in the church should probably know how to do this. Well, you know what? We're constantly learning and we're constantly developing the ability to do this. I found, because of this failure that I had in discernment, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get more serious about this, about listening to God's voice in different ways in my life. And it was honestly a blessing in that it sent me into a little bit of study of this practice of discernment. And I want to let you know that we're incredibly blessed in the church with resources to help us discern what choices we're going to make. Now, just a little bit about discernment. Discernment is not just decision-making. 
And discernment is not really the realm of decision-making that we're making when we're evaluating a thing, whether it's right or wrong. There's certain actions that are not really discernible because you know that they're wrong. You're not going to steal because you know that's going to violate a commandment. It's not something we do. But discernment is how do we choose between two possible goods? How do we evaluate what we're going to do? Now, there's lots of methods for this, and this is why I passed out this little handout that has a lot of reminders that you can take a look at, at resources that the church provides for discernment. But I want to let you know that the way that we organize this information is around a guide to the Christian life that's found in Acts 2.42. Four basic pillars of the Christian life. And you'll, they're also the four basic pillars that they used when they wrote the catechism. We're going to walk through these different things. And what I'm going to encourage each of us to do is to take a careful look at the opportunities that the church provides us to surround ourselves with resources that help us make a decision. Because the truth is that it's rare that we make a decision where we sit down, we write down all the pros and cons. That happens sometimes. But often decisions are made on the spur of the moment or they're made gradually. And an engagement in the life of the faith can help us to make the kind of decisions that are going to be thoroughly life-giving. Now, this is a particularly important topic at this time because we live in a very challenging time for making good decisions. I'm going to do a quick test to see just how closely you've been listening to your excellent Dominican teachers here and say, how many people here are familiar with St. Thomas Aquinas' Four Causes? <laughs> Touché. Touché. All right, all right. I, wanna, I won't put you on the spot. But in, so in our culture, we're pretty familiar with two of those causes. Efficient cause. In other words, if this phone is here, the efficient cause of me moving it there is my action there. We're pretty familiar with that, that cause and effect. We're also pretty familiar with the idea of material cause. What's the thing made of? What physical components are there? But there's two other very, very important causes to remember. Formal cause. What is a thing in its essence? Why was it created? What is it at its very core? And final cause. What is it destined for? Thinking about these four causes can be really, really helpful because it's really worth taking a look at some of the things that we interact with and what's it, it all about in its essence and what's it pointed towards. So I'm going to offer a negative example. These fine devices here, valuable tools, but formal cause, why was this thing made? Profit. Now, I don't have a problem with profit. There's a lot of good things about it. But it was not made to perfect us. It was made for the specific purpose of being able to sell some products, but also do a lot of good in the process. Final cause is what is it pointing people towards? Well, if we think about a lot of the things that are on here, it's not just designed to sell the initial product. It's designed to be a platform from which further sales can be made. Social media, as you know, is designed to guide us towards making various purchases. And of course, even the mapping functions in the phone are being used, at, monetized ultimately, to help guide us to going to a particular place. The reason I mention this is not to make us feel guilty about phones, 
but to be aware that we're now very, very surrounded by all kinds of influences that are designed to make us do something. They're often designed to try to get us to make a purchase. They're not necessarily designed for us to focus on our deepest and most fundamental needs. I'm not saying they're bad, but what I am saying is that when we're constantly surrounded by those stimuli, it becomes hard to have the kind of reflection that's required for a good choice. Because the core message of most advertising is going to be ultimately about live for the moment, act impulsively. It's going to be asking us to do things that will make us want to buy a product. Again, the action of buying a product isn't bad. But what I'm going to be suggesting is that we now have to be conscious about how do we create moments when we let God's voice in. When way back many, many years ago when I was a kid, when you walked to school, you had no choice. It was gonna be quiet. There, were, there was a lot of opportunity for quiet. Now, I can put my AirPods in anytime, listen to whatever I want. Even if I stop and try to fill my gas tank, I'm gonna hear either music or at one gas station, I'm constantly being sold something called Aditec. I don't know what it is. <laughs> All I know is that I need it in my car. And you know, I'm consistently hearing this at all these quiet, other, quiet times, there's constant distraction. So what I'm going to be suggesting is that one of the most important things we wanna to do to strengthen our ability to make good decisions is to create times of quiet in our lives to create space in our lives. Amongst the things that I help out with in the Chancery is the Human Formation Program for Permanent Deacons. So one of the exercises we give them is we ask them to keep track of their day. This is something that uh, Peter Drucker had his executives do. It, it's a simple tracking of what did I do? How did I feel when I was doing it? What was I thinking when I was doing it? And then looking at the connection of what happened next. In other words, when I did this, how did I feel afterwards and how did it influence my ability to do the next thing that I was doing? I promise you, if you go to the trouble of keeping track of your actions over the course of a week, one, you'll find that you're behaving just a little bit better because now you're keeping track of it, but also you'll start to see some connections. What leads you to be feeling upbeat and positive? What were the things that were happening before then? And then what are the things that maybe after you did them, you didn't feel so great about it? Being intentional about our time is really valuable. So that's something that we're gonna take away because we wanna be intentional about the way that we use our gift of time. Now, if you will, I wanna dive in just a little bit into these specific things that we can do to help kind of frame the way we see the world and the way we make decisions. Well, let me introduce the method first. How many of you are familiar with St. John of the Cross? Excellent, I'm very happy to hear it. All right, quick quiz. Who knows the three moves that he's got for the spiritual life? First move, purgation, illumination, unitive, excellent. Great thing to remember. One of the first things that we have to do is to clear out space so God can work. But it's very important that we follow up with the illuminative mood right afterwards. Because as Jesus says, if you clear, clear out the one de demon and you don't put the Holy Spirit in, 
seven others will follow and take its place. That's part of why it's so hard when we say, like, I'm so guilty about using social media, and we just try to stop using social media, and we don't fill it with anything else. What we want to try to do is clear some space and then bring in illumination in some way or another. Bring in the teachings of the church so that we can begin to see the world differently. And what's really important is that we're then going to want to move to the unit of place. I want to promise you something, and this is something I've discovered more and more deeply the more that I've probed in this world of discernment, is that if we create the space for God to work, he will speak to us. I promise you this. If you create that space, he will enter into that space and speak to us. If you really think about it, all of creation is a device he's created for us to relate to him. So we want to create this opportunity. And I encourage you to keep diving into these activities here with Frasati to learn more about the way the church understands the world. Because the way the church understands the world is so much more life-giving than what we tend to hear around us. The world around us is very much uh, informed by kind of existentialist philosophy, the type of philosophy that says, you know, there's just no meaning to things. I promise you this. There's a deep meaning to life. And the deeper that we go into the teachings of the church, the more we get to see it. The thing that's challenging about it is at first it's hard because you have to start putting the pieces together, but keep sticking with it. And I will promise you this, Father Chrysostom and the other wonderful people at your, at your Newman Center here will help you learn, will help you go deeper into it. They'll help you kind of provide a little bit of guides, a little bit of a guide into this way of thinking about life. So be intentional about exposing yourself to the understanding of the world through the church. And I'd like to kind of point to one core thing that we always want to remember. I'm going to quote St. Augustine here. Oh God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I want to remind everyone here that if you are feeling anxiety, if you're feeling like I don't feel like my life is right. If you're feeling like I kind of feel just a little bit alone in this world around me, that's God speaking to you. We're not meant to feel complete in this life. We're always meant to feel a bit of a hunger for a relationship with God. So when we feel that anxiety, don't interpret it as, oh my goodness, something is wrong with me. Interpret it as God is has placed a hunger in my heart for him. And look at that as an invitation to ask God to draw you deeper into relationship with him. If you're familiar with the Jesus prayer, that's a great prayer to say when you're trying to kind of wrestle with these things. Lord Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a great one to repeat over and over again. Use the tools of the church to understand the narrative of your life. And I promise you, a lot of good things will flow from them. Now, there's a number of things that are listed here, but I wanna offer one little suggestion. Take a look at this, at your schedule when you mark down the things that you're doing and look at the balance of things. How much time did you spend in prayer? How much time did you spend at mass? How much time did you spend at study? 
and then balance that with how much time did you spend at, on, on your phone, how much time did you spend watching TV, and other activities of that sort. This is not to make you feel guilty, but to look at it clinically and say, hmm, am I feeling anxious? What does the balance look like? What's the right move? Increase the good, the good input and maybe decrease the negative stuff. It's worth knowing that if you're constantly watching media that are driven by advertising, advertising is designed to say, you have this hunger that, can be, that needs to be filled for our product. If you're watching that over and over again, what's the net effect going to be? It's going to be a little bit anxiety provoking. So take note of that and look at ways to add to the positive side of the ledger. I'm going to offer one little favorite of mine. A great app is Divine Office. How many of you pray the liturgy the hours? Excellent. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you to give it some thought because it's a wonderful way to start your day with morning prayer and evening prayer. Now, granted, I promise to do it as a deacon, but it's incredibly life-giving and it creates a narrative for you. And this app, if you find it a little bit hard to actually read the office and sit down and flip the ribbons and all that kind of thing, first of all, it presents it sequentially, it organizes it all the time, and you can also play it, it can also play it out loud so you can hear the prayers. I can tell you one time that this helped me with a discernment. So I won't say who I was going to be meeting with, but I was going to be meeting with a peer and we've been working organizationally to try to get a connection with this other side of the organization. And it hadn't gone well. And I went to meet with, with her and her assistant told me, oh, she'll be right there. And I was a little bit annoyed because I was on time. We're peers. And I'm waiting, waiting for this meeting. And then I wait, and then her assistant says, oh, she'll, she'll be ready in just a little bit. Why don't you go back to your office, and then I'll call you when she's ready. No call. And I'm you know, working on something, and then I finally think, I've I got to wrap this up. So I'm walking back over there, and I'm about ready to really let everybody know how I feel. You know, you guys have been impossible to work with. You're driving me nuts. And just as I'm about to, you know, speak, speak truth to power, so to speak, I remembered a line from that morning's Office of Readings. The patient will inherit the land. And I think, oh, fine. And I was patient. And I said, you know what, that's fine, I'll, I'll just wait. Well, I go into the meeting, and actually it was an incredible meeting. And we made enormous amounts of progress. That little reminder from the Office of Readings helped kind of frame me for what I was supposed to do. Think about dropping these suggestions into your mind from the Psalms, from the prayers. Listen to this, this beautiful tradition of the church and let that be the backdrop of your life. Let that be your soundtrack, so to speak. I promise you it will help with discernment because it starts you out on the right foot. And then what's nice is that evening prayer comes all around and it's there to end it on the right foot too. So the teachings of the church are incredibly powerful. The other thing I want to focus on is the second part of this, uh, this four-part four -part prescription of the church, so to speak, which is the communal life. 
we're meant to live in community. And one of the things I think is tough about this part of the country is a lot of us end up out here moving because a lot of us come, came to uh, work in an industry here. Just really quickly, show of hands, how many of you were born in the Seattle area? Okay, that's probably a little bit less than half. How many of you uh, graduated high school in the Seattle area? Still less than half. So it's natural that if you've landed here, it takes a little bit of time to form community. What I'm gonna encourage everybody here to do is give community time to develop. Work at developing community. I promise you it will help you out. My own discernment, I, when I think about the things that I've done, it's been shaped largely by community. When, uh, when I met my wife, actually probably about 300 yards from here in one of these uh, establishments here where <laughs> we were at this party and uh, I, I, I knew that she'd be the right person to ask out because we're at the party and, and she was up against the wall like this. God. <laughs> I thought, all right, that girl has some sense. I'll, I'll dance with her. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, we, you know, we spend time visiting with each other, and then she goes one way, I go the other. And her friend Joanna, who I didn't know was her friend, but was a friend of my friend Mark, comes up and says, oh, you were dancing with Linda. You guys would be perfect together. It was that connection that started us off out on the right foot. And honestly, in most of my professional life, most of my professional decisions have been made, or my, most of my jobs have not come from me filling out an application and going to it, but someone tapping me on the shoulder and saying, would you be willing to do this? Kind of touching back on this subject of working in the church, it never occurred to me for a moment, the idea of working in the church. I, was, I graduated, uh, so I went to school here, and then did graduate school over at the University of Pennsylvania, came back over here to work in, uh, for the state of Washington, ultimately kind of planning for, you know, maybe political life, because love that sort of thing. Still have an interest in it, but, you know, once, once I found the church, well, that was more fun. I, I can tell you honestly. But the path that I followed was I got engaged in our local parish. I mean, I, I've always liked being involved in things, and I got involved in our local parish, and I'll confess, when I first went to our parish, All Saints, um, Linda and I went in there and thought, huh, there are not a lot of my, people my age in this place. But I, we thought, you know what, we're Catholic, we're supposed to be going to Mass, we're going to go to Mass, we're going to go to Mass here. Got to know the community there. I found out there some classes on Catholic social teaching, I thought, that's kind of fun, I'm interested in public affairs. So I went to those and actually met the director of the State Catholic Conference, which was great because I worked in legislative affairs. So I'd see Ned up at the Capitol and talk with him. And one day, we're in the Senate gallery, and Ned says, you ever thought about working for the church? And I said, what do you do if you work in the church? And no idea. And he asked me to work in the State Catholic Conference. And uh, it was a great job. Legislative relations, a lot of fun. Then... Father Basso at our parish said, could you, oh, you know Father Basso? Oh, wonderful man, wonderful man. He said, would you be willing to work in the parish? And he said, you know, your daughter is getting about to the age of going to school. I thought, huh, I could drive the kid to school each day. So then I worked there, loved working there, it was a lot of fun. 
Then Bishop Thomas says, hey, why don't you become a deacon? Okay. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sounding pretty malleable about this, right? <laughs> but you know what? Here's the thing. In each of these cases, in each of these invitations, and then again, I remember being asked by Archbishop Sarton Retreat Center, then asked Archbishop Sarton uh, Chancery, then you know, Archbishop Agent asked me to do this. These invitations, what happens is that people know you and you engage in a relationship with, with people, they'll be able to help you with your decisions because they're gonna have a sense of who you are and invite you into other opportunities. You're going to have people that you can really talk to and connect with. But here's the thing that's hard about this time we're in right now. Everybody's moving around a lot, right? And in addition to that, we have got something that makes it harder for our deep, to deepen our connections. Social media, it's not all bad, but one of the things that it does is it creates the feeling that we're connecting with people, but we're not necessarily connecting. The part of the reason that social media doesn't really do the job is that there's not true direct intimacy in it not true direct vulnerability, because we're not speaking one-to-one to, -one to a person. So one of the things I would just encourage you, if you're having a hard time making connections, if sometimes you feel like you'd like to get better at it, don't feel bad about it. It's just you haven't had enough repetitions, haven't had enough practice. And what I would encourage you to do is to start being intentional about prioritizing and putting first face-to-face -face communication then after that, I don't want to sound crazy here, but I want to let you know this thing here, you can call people on it, on the phone. Pref prefer a phone call over text. And the reason for that is you're, it's a more vulnerable thing. It's a more immediate thing. You're communicating a lot more with tone of voice and other things. Put time and energy into making phone calls if you can't be in person. Then if you can't make a phone call, text rather than communicating through another app. Like the more direct, the more intimate, the better. If it feels awkward, that's good because any sort of true learning experience feels a little bit awkward. But I strongly encourage you to do it to grow in that depth of intimacy because the community we build around us really strengthens us. We all need the ability to turn to somebody and say, am I on the right path? It's incredibly powerful, but it takes work. So I just want to encourage you to do that. And I'm happy to kind of chat with you if you're kind of feeling like, hey, suggest about great ways to connect with people. I'm going to tell you, you're doing the right thing by being here. Tune in next week for part two of Deacon Eric Page sharing tools of discernment with students at the University of Washington Newman Center. Give this episode a re-listen or search for part two by going to sacredheartradio.org. Look for programs and podcasts or search for Faith Retriever on your favorite podcast platform. 